The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time. My name's Taylor Payne and we are back with everyone's favourite podcast odd couple. It's George Corgan and Chris Woff. How the devil are you, George Corgan? Are you alright? I'm very well, yeah. Sort of on that subject, that just brings to mind my opening conversation that I had with Jacob at the match at the weekend. He'd gone to Armstrong Bridge to the Saturday market on, uh, on, on Saturday before the game. And he said he was just wa- kind of walking along, minding his own business, looking at the stalls. And then suddenly he's kind of like looking down and he just sees someone carrying this massive sausage on a stick. And he was like thinking to himself, that's quite weird, isn't it? I mean, it's like a sausage on a stick. I mean, effectively, a sausage is a meat stick, isn't it? It is a stick of meat. Why would you need to put a stick onto a sausage? And I wonder what kind of person would actually buy a sausage on a stick. And then, of course, he hears, hello, Jacob. And it's it's Chris. Perfect way to start a Saturday, that's all I'm saying. I, 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 was, I was in my element. How about that, eh? It turned out I was also wearing an athletic hoodie at the time, which I didn't realise, so I was very much representing both uh, my cliche on the podcast and, in general, just what I what I do from day to day. So, yeah, yeah. that's me, that's me, that's me sell, selling the company to everyone by walking along Armstrong Bridge with a sausage on a stick. I saw the photo, and it is the most on-brand photo of Chris Woff that's ever been taken, isn't it? Fabulous This makes me giggle, that thought, that image. <laughs> Apart from sausages on sticks, Chris, have you had a canny weekend? Uh, yes, it was it was nice, thank you. I was at the game on Saturday in uh, in, in George's seat, so um, so yeah, everyone around there prefers me being there. I think to George, but you know that's just understandable. So oh. yeah, I've I've struck Fair up enough. a bit of camaraderie, I think, with the people around me. So, hmm. oh, they just pity me. One of the two, yeah. Yeah, we'll come on to you and the idea of camaraderie and ideas and thoughts and stuff that you say. How about so, you, Taylor? Are you, sure. You've got a bit of a cold, haven't you? You've got a bit of a. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit snuffly. I'm a little bit bunged up, Chris. But you know, you're powering through. You're powering through. It's nothing I can't get through. I don't like to make a fuss, Chris. You know me. I don't like to make a fuss when things like this happen. So I just power through, get my head down, you know, and crack on very much. Uh, like Newcastle United did on Saturday. Do you like that link? That was very professional, wasn't it? Beautiful. 4-0 against Crystal Palace. I'd say this was as routine a win as you can get, isn't it? Even after that Burnley one, which we said was a routine win. Uh, they basically never got out of first gear and still managed to stick four goals past Crystal Palace. The opening few minutes, opening goal, Fabian Shea, Kieran Trippier, Jacob Murphy, happy days, Varchek. 1-0, George. What more can you ask for? Yeah, I was a bit irritated with that VAR check. It was, I don't know, it felt sort of, it felt like that was one that that actually sucked the life out of the first bit of the celebration. Kind of stole it, the moment, didn't it? It, it, it did. It wasn't, it wasn't quite the same, I didn't think, as the Dan Byrne one against PSG, where the sort of celebration had happened and then sort of faded away. This was this was kind of irritating. But well, the players knew yeah, from the brilliant. bench, didn't they? The, the bench had basically told. Anthony Gordon was part of the were telling them it was a goal, yeah. 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 And but anyway, yeah, absolutely, absolutely brilliant start and um, just yeah, beautiful f- uh, ball across from from Fabian Scher and then Trippier, who was uh, who was brilliant. We'll come on to talk about the way Newcastle attacked down that side, but yeah, it was a, just a great, great, great way to start the game. And Palace, Palace just did not recover, could not recover. 
I mean, it's a pretty obvious that Jacob Murphy didn't mean that, Chris. Are you going to contradict that and suggest that he maybe did? Well, he himself said he but... didn't mean it, so I, I, <laughs> I'm not going to be contrary for once. He literally couldn't have kicked that ball any other way for it to go in, could he? It kind of hit the very tip of his toe and, and the way it spun and the way it looped. There was no other way that was going in the net. No, and I mean, almost you felt that really aided Newcastle in terms of the, the first... The, obviously, three nil-nils last season, as, as we mentioned, Newcastle didn't get that slice of luck. And, and they were very, it's a very fortuitous first goal to get. I mean, the, the move leading up to it's very good, but the fact that he manages to, to miss hit his cross so that it goes in the, in the far corner. Yeah. But that's exactly what they needed. And as George said, Palace never recovered. And I know it took until the 43rd minute for Newcastle to score the second, but you knew that if Newcastle scored a second, that was game over because Palace had come to sit back and hopefully contain Newcastle and maybe catch them on the break at some stage. There was no chance they were scoring twice. And, I mean, as it turned out, there was no chance of even scoring once. But, yeah, that, that just set Newcastle off. I think it eased everyone. If there were any nerves in the ground that and amongst the players, that just eased everything. And from then on, you really felt they were going to win. Absolutely. I would literally had just got to my seat when that goal went in, and I was in the very back row of level seven. And it was like watching the match on Football Manager. <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous back there. But the whole place went bananas, George. And Palace won the toss, didn't they? And they decided to shoot uphill in the first half, 43 minutes in, uh, leading by just one solitary goal. Newcastle United are in real trouble. No, of course not. Um, it, it did feel like <laughs> one of those games where Newcastle, you sort of wanted them to get that second uh, second goal. And, you know, when they did, when they did, as Chris says, that was game over. But what you're, what you're getting at here is the theory that Chris explained on the podcast after the Man City game in the League Cup and he said well I've been sort of waiting for the moment to, to bring this up and it's I mean this is me trying to think about football oh, and actually no. what have we told you about that exactly he's got too much time on his hands he's got too much time on his hands hasn't he Tom? this is a, this is a concern for mm. all of us but I I I suggest that Newcastle United should break with tradition and I have a theory that Eddie Howe's Newcastle United should start if they win the toss by head by playing towards the Gallagher end. And when we talk about the change of pace in the first half to the second half, I think that when you have a side who want to come out the traps very quickly, press the the opposition and in suffocation almost, that actually going down the slope first half would be to Newcastle's benefit in terms of preventing the opposition from getting out. Now, the argument would be Newcastle turned it around last night in the second half. That's when they, they put the afterburners on. But... That I've just got this. I just feel that maybe that the way that this side is programmed, that actually there will be better first half to be shooting towards the Gallagher end, breaking with tradition that Newcastle would do, uh, have done for so many years that if they win the toss, they shoot towards the Leases end the first half. I think that they should change that and see how it works. And so on Saturday, all I was getting, all we were getting in our little group chat, was this constant stream of Chris saying how right he was and how much he wanted official apologies from us on the show. Because, of course, we roundly and correctly ridiculed Chris for attempting to break with Newcastle United tradition. So let's let's go to Chris. Let's just get this out of the way and let's see if Chris does want to gloat. Let's see what Chris's thoughts are about, about this. I mean, at the risk of making this all about me, and my name is not George Colkin, so I'm not keen to do that, but, um, but at the risk of making this all about me, I, I, I want to say... 
that because I know what you're going to come back with. It's going to be second half. Newcastle, you know, they, they, they didn't do as much. They didn't seem to have as much energy. But the game was over by half time. Newcastle were 3 0 up. Palace didn't, could not, and did not get out during the first half. Newcastle should have been 5 or 6 0 up. Now, that doesn't necessarily prove that my theory is right. All it does show is that if Newcastle United, if, if Eddie Howe's Newcastle United attack down the hill, it's very, very difficult in that first half when they have all the energy and the intensity to attack out. What it allowed them to do during the second half was play in second gear and take off all the big players early so that they can be ready for right. Wednesday night. Now, I'm not saying that they should change okay. categorically. I'm just saying it was interesting to see, and I think that at least part of it worked. Although, to counter my own point is, after Newcastle scored the opening goal, there was about 10-15 minutes where they weren't at the very best, and it took another 10-15 minutes mm-hmm. for them to get into the game. But still, yes. Okay, thank you, Chris. So, what is it that you would like from us, exactly? What would you like? I would like you to, to at least accept that even if you disagree with the point that Newcastle should break with tradition that rather than just dismiss an idea that I come up with immediately as absolutely ridiculous yeah. wait until it comes out in practice and it wasn't the most ridiculous idea in the world it was a theory of there, there, there is at okay. least there is at least a prognosis behind it it may not work and longer term it may not prove to be the answer but I do not want it to be dismissed as instantly and, and ridiculed in exactly the way that it was when I bring it up Okay, you've made your point very eloquently, and I fully take it on board. I have a couple of points to to give you in response. The first is, quite simply, Newcastle could have kicked off vertically in that match, and they would still have beaten Crystal Palace. You've got Palace. no way of proving so that. Bad. You've got absolutely no way of proving that. Secondly, secondly, <laughs> never back down, never give in, never surrender, never apologise, never, ever, bloody anything ever, never give Chris Woff an inch, because he will take... A mile. And Chris, I've actually done my research on this. I've done a lot of research on this. this. No, I haven't slept a lot in the last 24 hours because I knew this was coming and I knew I had to have a good response to this. So I've actually looked back at the stats over the last 30 years. And it's, as I say, it's taken me a long time. Would you like to hear the result? No. Because the, the, stat, the stats of the last 30 years are irrelevant. Because it, I have all it found... Is, is Eddie Howe's no. Newcastle. I said Eddie Howe's Newcastle United. Yeah, okay. Because I have found conclusively, definitively, that on 63% of the times that you open your mouth, absolute effluent spews out of it. So that's definitive. The big picture, though, here, Chris, right? Your theory is based on Newcastle breaking with tradition and deciding to kick off towards the Gallagher end when they win the toss. Newcastle lost the toss on Saturday. Yeah. They did not choose to kick towards the Gallagher end. So therefore, everything that follows beyond that is an absolute irrelevance. Why is it They didn't break with tradition. If they had won the toss, they have would have stayed with their own tradition yeah. and kicked towards the Leeds' yeah. end. So this is not some vindication. It is because it's showing Newcastle. Them, it's, show, it's showing them if they at least if they do elect to do it, they can play that way. We're going to go around in circles here. I feel we're going to get bogged down but, here, chaps. But I'll be nobody honest. is suggesting. <laughs> nobody is suggesting that Newcastle United have never won games of football when kicking towards the Gallagher end. On the fir- in the first half. Nobody is suggesting that. What we are suggesting is that that is a ridiculous theory. Anyway, one more thing. I felt like I needed some serious heavyweight back up to this point. So I texted Alan from work this morning, a.k.a. the Lion of Gosforth, a.k.a. Uh, the greatest 
goal scorer in Newcastle United's history, former England captain, former Newcastle United captain, <coughs> Newcastle United number nine. So here we go. So this is the full verbatim transcript, which I will put into our group chat as as uh, as proof. Morning. All okay? Am I right in saying that when you won the toss as Newcastle United captain, you would always choose to kick down the hill at St James's Park in the second half? And he replies, capital letters, always. Second text. Capital letters again. He does this a lot. It's a bit like how he just speaks in real life. Shoot towards the Gallagher end. And I said, ha ha, thank you. And was that simply about tiredness, i.e. it's easier on everyone's legs and harder on the opposition? And he said, I or we always thought it was easier, better to go down the hill second half. I then go back and say to him, this is something that Chris suggested on the podcast a few weeks ago, suggesting that Newcastle should choose to kick downhill in the first half and use that as an excuse to blow teams away. My theory, however, is that Chris is an idiot. Alan Shearer's response, you are correct. Case closed. Let's move on. Well then, yeah, let's move on. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 43 minutes in, Newcastle 1-0 up. Lovely Fabian Cher and Jacob Murphy with key contributions again as Anthony Gordon added a second. My favourite part of any Newcastle game is the moment when Fabian Shea decides to just fuck off on a little adventure with the ball and do whatever the frig he likes for five minutes or so. And he did that a couple of times in the game, but we also have to say as well, his passing and his general distribution from the back was just absolutely beautiful. He clips the ball forward and Newcastle end up with a second goal through Anthony Gordon. Great for him as he just missed the chance a couple of minutes earlier, George, as well, hadn't he? Yeah, that, that, that chance which he skied from very close range. Yeah, share on the ball is brilliant. I mean, it takes you back to the to the kind of Benitez era and the times that Cher played and he left out um, John Joe Shelby, who John Joe Shelby obviously had that kind of incredible array of passing, but Cher has it as well. And when he's given that freedom to do that, uh, it's just beautiful that those crossfield, those crossfield diagonal passes. Again, we have to give credit to both him and Jamal Lascelles. You know, two two of brilliant. of our old era defenders playing absolutely brilliantly. Share not in his accustomed role. They can hardly have had an easier game than they did than they did against Palace. But yeah, just just wanted to shout out to them. Yeah, I mean, on on that point about Cher and and, and Lascelles, what was interesting, and although Cher, we've we've become accustomed to playing very very well on the right sided centre back position, what was interesting in the game on Saturday was he was the left sided centre back, but because Trippier was essentially playing as a wing back, in, if not a right winger, he became in a he became a back three with when Newcastle had the ball with Burn and Cher was basically in the middle of the pitch, which meant he had the entire pitch of both sides to be able to play the passes, and you could just see that vision and the ability to actually carry it out in the first fifteen minutes. He just kept on playing that lovely dinked diagonal across to, to Kieran Trippier yeah. and uh, as good as Newcastle's right hand side was uh, Cher passing the ball to Trippier and then Murphy and Longstaff running beyond were excellent Palace's 
inability to deal with that. It was as if it surprised them that's where Newcastle were going to be strong on the right-hand side. Mitchell was terrible, but I felt for him because he had no support. He played odds. He played odds on Edward uh, Roy Hodgson on the left-hand side, who just did not track at all. He gave absolutely no support, and he didn't switch it until half-time, by which stage the game was done. He moved down uh, Jordan Ayew across the other side, and it was just baffling that he would approach that. But what Newcastle did was they identified that weakness, and they just kept going for it and going for it and going for it. And as I said earlier, they could and should have been far more than 3-0 up at half-time. It, it, yeah. If you ever see a game where the stats belie, as in the, the core stats belie the reality of it, is this match from Saturday. Newcastle only had 10 shots to Palace's 17, which just seems ridiculous when you actually take the balance of it. it. No, it doesn't make any sense. But Newcastle had so many times in the first half where they got down the right and Murphy, Longstaff or Trippier would get the ball into the box and either the final touch wasn't there or Palace just managed to scramble it away. And it, they were just thoroughly, thoroughly dominant. And, and the, the, the link of play between them was just sensational down that side. Sean Longstaff as well, bursting forward, capitalised on a defensive lapse. Marquee slipping over there. Maybe it was because he was playing uphill, Chris. I don't know, maybe. And we were ramping down that right-hand side, weren't we? George Trippier, Murphy, Anthony Gordon coming across a few times as well. Sean Longstaff bursting into the box. Just brilliant stuff. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean, I'm quite surprised that Roy Hodgson didn't try and shore that side up a bit more than they did because, New- I mean, we talked before about Gordon scoring the goal. He's been Newcastle's sort of most important, most influential attacker in, in recent weeks, arguably this season. He, d- he wasn't needed. I mean, he wasn't needed in that first half, really, apart from the goal, because everything was going down that right side. Those beautiful little triangle passes, creating space. Trippier would have space to, to cross. Longstaff coming across there. Murphy, too. It was just absolutely overloaded on, on that side. Brilliant to see Sean score again. And, yeah, I mean, just reacted so quickly to that mistake but incredible on that side after the match a former Newcastle United player who, who shall remain nameless called me and his, his, his verdict on the marquee situation for, for Sean Longstaff's goal was that you get so many centre-backs now who think they're players and he tries to take it down and play it and Sean Longstaff just sat him on his arse was exactly what he said and he did and it was just it was it <laughs> well that's, that was clearly John Anderson wasn't it Chris I don't know why you're, I don't know, try, I don't know why you're hiding that I mean I, you haven't hidden his identity very well there no, at all no well it was John Anderson yes so uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was, but, the, but you could you could see almost when when Longstaff breaks it in the box with the ball. You, you, there's almost that sort of you could feel it in the crowd. Where everyone was like, "Is is is play still live here? Is this game going on?" Yeah. And then he just he just has the the he, he, complete composure just to pass it beyond him. But there was sort of that moment elapsed where it just felt like the game must have stopped because it was just such a weird, unusual moment. But that I mean that Palace were completely done. I think they were done by the second goal. But that just meant that the second half was a, to a degree a complete non-event. Longstaff had so much space he could have bent down and retied his shoelaces couldn't he and finished his uh, his carton of Ribena and then slotted the ball in the corner he, he had the freedom of the box we struggled uphill in the second half didn't we let's be oh, honest don't, we don't. Were, we've, we've moved on we were burning energy <laughs> We've been here already, I know. Uh, it's clearly the worst direction to be playing in the, in the game. We've already established that. But we did manage a fourth. Less than 10 seconds for the ball to travel from Nick Pope to the Palace net via Trippier, Murphy and the goal scorer, Callum Wilson. That right-hand side again. Five touches, box to box, ball in the net, George. Yeah, brilliant. And just at that moment, Newcastle's subs were, were warming up. There was a very funny moment when... Wilson kind of comes off and Isak comes on and they had a nice little sort of embrace and it looked like sort of Wilson was saying, I got my goal, I got my goal, it's your turn now. But yeah, very pleased for him to score. I think they just, from that point, I mean, it was just, it was absolute training match situation. 
a load of substitutes, took players off, rested them, really good to be able to do that. And, you know, all, all the team tried to do from that point was keep the score as it was. And Palace were blown away, but they were hopeless. They were really hopeless. There were, and that goal sort of summed up the difference between the two sides is that Decore has the sort of curled shot which Pope saves, and then Palace just don't react. They don't try to get back into shape, they don't retreat. No. Nick Pope has the ball, looks up, and there's space for him to give the ball to Trippier, who then plays it first time to Murphy, who, the way that he plays that, that, that ball across the box, and actually my I was speaking to my brother after the game on Saturday, and he made it sort of interesting point about Jacob Murphy, that it seems to be, if Jacob Murphy, if something positive happens to Jacob Murphy in the first 5-10 minutes of a match, then for the rest of that match he can be an absolute world beater, like he was against Spurs, like he was on Saturday. He just seems yeah. to, you can see him visibly grow in confidence, and the, 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 the pass for the second the assist for the second goal was wonderful but the, the assist for that one it was just perfectly timed because when I was sitting I, I'm towards the sort of right hand side of the Melbourne side and when I first saw it they pays the ball across I was thinking why hasn't the keeper come here to try and intercept Wilson but when you see it again you, you can't it's in that sort of perfect the way that it yeah. sort of curls around the, the keeper can't come and then again, Wilson has the time to take a touch and put it beyond him. And yeah, Callum Wilson would have been a very angry man, I think, if he'd come out with, off without scoring in that match because he had he had that header in the first half. He didn't have loads of clear-cut opportunities, but Newcastle had created so many and, and, and in the end won 4-0 and Wilson would have been furious if he'd not left the pitch with a goal. I was going to say, one of my, one of my favourite things in the entire game was just after the fourth goal went in, Eddie Howe did the universally recognised symbol for just calm things down a little bit, lads. And then he put Miguel Almiron on, who proceeded to run around like a complete madman for 10 minutes uh, <laughs> and nearly got a goal as well himself. Imagine telling Miguel Almiron to just take it easy and chill out for a bit when he sends him on the pitch. Absolute nonsense, George. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people you know, people want to be involved and they want to, they want to make an impact. The thing I was going to mention about Murphy was that there was a moment when Newcastle, when Palace broke and he was the one getting back to defend and to make a clearance and yeah just absolutely brilliant he does in lots of ways he, he, he embodies the team and it's brilliant to see him integral on Murphy as well I mean that that was probably the one surprise selection from, from the 11 if you picked the 11 before and I think a lot of people expected Miguel Almiron to start in hindsight he'd come back late for having been involved for Paraguay so it made sense but again it shows when Newcastle have these international breaks and they are preparing for a very specific match, you could see exactly what Jacob Murphy had been asked to do and what Newcastle had worked on on that right-hand side. Yeah. And that's where the attention to detail comes into it. But also Murphy's willingness to, to just do exactly what he's what he's taught. You can see he, he buys into everything. He, he enjoys himself out on the pitch. Yeah. He, he does get shouted at by his teammates from time to time. There's a few times where Wilson was basically screaming at him that he should be in a certain different position. Trippier shouts at him and keeps him position. But he just loves being involved in this team and that is he has elevated himself beyond what I think any of us comprehended that he could. We've spoken about so many turnarounds and players, but for Jacob Murphy, who hadn't started a Premier League match yet this season, to come in and deliver a performance like that Fabulous. just says everything about the, 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 the level that this squad is on and how everyone is pushing each other new limits. My missus texted me during the game and just said, we must protect Jacob Murphy at all costs, and I completely agree. Let's not get carried away, though. This was a pretty depleted uh, Palace side, uh, but maybe we can get a little bit carried away. Newcastle United, for the league rankings, currently first in terms of goals scored, first in terms of expected goals, first for shots on target inside the box, first for shot conversion rate, and first for big chances scored. They're leading the way in all of the stats that matter, George. They're doing the job they need to do, and they're flying up the league now, and it's, it's great to see. Yeah, five wins in a row at home as well, I think I'm right in saying, Chris. Is that right? Yep. And showing sort of all aspects of the game at the minute. Professional, 
clinical. I think that's the. I think that's what those stats show, Taylor, that you've just mentioned. That um, you know, expected goals top, but also goals top. So that shows that they're they're creating chances, taking chances, which is just yeah, just really good to see. Fabulous stuff. Uh, and the reaction post-match from the crowd for Sandro Tonali, Chris. It's an interesting one, this, isn't it, for Sandro? It's obviously been a very emotional week for him. I think Eddie Howe probably used him quite wise, wisely and just given him that little 20-minute cameo. Well, I mean, it wasn't just the, the post-match reaction. There was obviously the, the Forza Tonali. During yeah, the match, well, during the match yeah, was the, there was the very minimalist uh, Forza Tonali banner before the game it, from, from War Flags. Only that and the show race and the races and the red card one in the corner to quite clearly send a message of support when he went out to warm up in the 20-odd minute. The, the entire ground just about was 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 up applauding and then yeah you got a wonderful reception coming onto the pitch even before he was on when the four substitutes were standing there lane I mean that's also taking the piss a little bit to be able to bring on four substitutes but that's a slightly separate matter but the, the, everyone was up on their feet and yes after the game uh, Eddie Howe admit, it's, it said himself that he was the one who sort of pushed Sandro Tonali towards the Gallagher end where he received that reception I mean I mean, George wrote about this and, and obviously we are unsure if, if, if he will be in a black and white shirt again in the in the, in the near future but as, as a potential send off that that was I think that that will have meant a heck of a lot to him I just think it was it was an incredible an incredible day really in those terms in those sort of emotive terms you take a step back Obviously, he is going to suffer from any ban that's coming his way, um, but but Newcastle suffer. The t- his teammates will suffer. The crowd will suffer. You know, this is a fella that the team and club have spent a lot of money on, and um, he won't be available. We're we're pretty sure about that. And for the response to be the way it was, to uh, I just think was yeah was was absolutely incredible. It was very emotional at the end. Eddie Howe said in his pro match press conference that he decided to to do that little thing where Tonali walked first towards the Gallagher end and then stood almost on his own in front of the Gallagher end with his teammates and coaching staff just hanging back and there was a sort of clear message there that he is absolutely part of us but in that moment he was getting that ovation on his own not for anything he'd done in the game but because of the situation he he faces and you know, it takes me back to that to, to the AC Milan game where he spoke beforehand the away match and he said that he felt a little bit lost in his early weeks at Newcastle and you know he's he's still getting to know his his new teammates, he's still getting to understand the club. There's a lot about his future which is opaque at the moment and how he'll deal with it and how he'll cope. But the one thing he knows beyond any doubt at all is that Newcastle fans, his teammates, have his back. And it was just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful moment. Sad in its own way, but really, really precious, I thought. And yeah, I asked, I asked the uh, head coach about that afterwards. He talked uh, on Friday about hoping that the crowd would, uh, would throw their arms around Sandro. And boy, did they do that. Well, just a big thank you from me to our supporters today because that reaction, reception at the end was incredible and it was emotional. As I said on um, Friday, he's a human being. He's going through a very emotional time and the supporters reacted in the way that I hoped they would and I could feel the love between him and them and that will do him the world of good. He'll feel much better about everything, I'm sure, tonight. Um, We don't know what's ahead for him, but yeah, just a big thank you from me to that. Yeah, he's very much wanted to, to play and to perform, I'm sure. I mean, I, I haven't really gone into detail on that. For me, that's a no. there was no decision to make. 
as in would I or could I play him? It's like, yes, I can see that from how he's trained. So there's no part of me that goes, oh, he's not ready to play football. But then we have to just introduce him at the right time and make sure it's right for the team. It was a good time to do it today. I thought he played well when he came on. Um, but I just think hopefully that is a step further or a step forward for him to uh, moving forward with his life. Yeah, Chris, it looks like we'll learn a little bit uh, a little bit more about Tonali's punishment in the next day or two, doesn't it? Hopefully we'll get some sort of word about that. Yeah, I mean, by the time this podcast is out, we may have even heard something, or at least we are. Yeah. I know that certainly from, from Tonali's point of view, I think they're keen to get it any punishment which is handed down handed down almost immediately so that he can basically start serving this suspension he he, he this is uh, as, as how basically said when he was asked more than 30 times I think about Tenali at the press conference pre-match press conference on Friday and then subsequently after the match on Saturday I don't think there is any shying away from Newcastle that they very much expect a significant ban I don't think we're going to see him for the rest of this season could well be into parts of next season and then once they actually know the extent of that then in terms of primarily for Tonali himself and his family they can start plotting a way forward how he, he gets through this and then comes back but also for Newcastle United themselves to work out exactly what it is in terms of time scale that they're going to be without their, their huge summer signing the one who they spent all of the money on as we've already mentioned January window a lot of people are already asking about that uh, ideally Newcastle really wanted another midfield even in the summer that was the plan going into the summer and the fact that they now are not going to have Sandro Tonali very much the, 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 the sounding seemed to be that that is something that they will look at but once they actually have the clarity on the way forward I think that's just the best for everyone now that they've accepted the situation everyone involved but it's now just to know exactly what the extent of that is OK, I think it's time to move on, chaps. We have to say well done to Becky Langley and all the lasses. Another win on the road at Huddersfield this time. And they're reeling in Burnley at the top of the FAWNL Northern Premier. Uh, Charlotte Potts opened the scoring and was delighted with Sunday's result. She took the Twitter and said, Clean sheet, a performance that proved how hard we've been working and a lovely little bonus getting on the score sheet today. Looking forward to continuing to build with this team. Heart eye emoji, black heart, white heart. Lovely stuff. George... Not a bad result for the lasses, eh? Brilliant, yeah, still unbeaten. And, yeah, really starting to now put the pressure on at the top of the league. I mean, things aren't necessarily going Newcastle's way in lots of ways. It's been a very stop-start season for them in terms of games being postponed and all that. And this one was no exception. They had to wait 15 minutes at the start of the match whilst the replacement official turns up. Huddersfield had a player sent off after a couple of minutes, so... That certainly will have helped them, but you know they then missed another penalty. But you have to then take advantage of those situations, and they did it with great aplomb. So, yeah, well done to them. Brilliant result, and yeah, fantastic for both teams, wasn't it? So, a good weekend to be a magpie indeed. The men's first 11 win 4-0. The women's team won 4-0. The women's development team won 7-2. Under-21s won 5-0 in the Northumberland Cup. And I'm no maths genius, but that's an aggregate of 20 goals to 2. A great weekend for the mags on the pitch. And that will have delighted everyone who works at the club. George, uh, you spoke to a member of the training ground staff about something special that they are doing at the moment. Yeah, that's it's really nice. I want to give a big, big shout out to uh, there are seventeen members of training ground staff who are running. Um, they've kept this quiet, by the way. Um, running a minimum of five kilometres a day in October for Prostate Cancer UK, absolutely brilliant cause, and it's just a great thing for them to do. I think by the sound of it, it's been tough. 
getting out, you know, when they've got loads of games getting out, when it's been appalling weather and storms and some people have had babies, uh, for instance, at that at that time. But apparently it's been really good for their sort of morale too. I'd particularly like to single out Ryan Parrish and Lee Marshall, two colleagues that, that Chris and I work with a lot and just say well done to them, to send them loads and loads of love. People can go onto Just Giving if they search justgiving.com forward slash team forward slash Newcastle United um, and sponsor them. It's an absolutely brilliant cause and we'll put that link into our show notes as well. So well done and keep it up. Not too long to go now. Absolutely great stuff, guys. Uh, remember, we are at Pod on the Tine on Twitter or X uh, if you want to get in touch. We're all on there individually as well, but pretty easy to find. Or give us an email at podonthetine at theathletic.com. We'll be back in just a moment to talk about that Dortmund game in the Champions League. So Wednesday night sees the 1997 UEFA Champions League winners Borussia Dortmund come to St James's Park for a night of fun and follocks. Rumours of Dortmund's demise have been greatly exaggerated though, George, haven't they? Eight games into the Bundesliga season and they remain unbeaten and they've won five on the bounce. Yes, they're they're fourth in the table. They're a couple of points off top. I mean, it's, it doesn't feel like this is a vintage Dortmund team um, having gone so close in the league last season. Oh, it's just really exciting though, isn't it? I mean, it's like, can't wait. We've been sort of dissecting what happened at the weekend. It's, yeah, God, it's... Uh, if it's anything like PSG in terms of atmosphere, in terms of occasion, it's just going to be very, 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 very special indeed. Can't can't wait for it. Yeah, I think every single thing that I do this week leading up, there's just going to be that little flash in the back of my brain going, Dortmund, Dortmund, Dortmund. Yeah. Think about Dortmund. Just constantly. Uh, just a point for them so far, Chris, uh, in our Champions League group. Nil-nil at home to Milan, followed by a, a defeat at the Parc de France. They, they haven't had the best time in Europe yet, have they? No, I mean, basically the cliche, because it's true in... in to Champions League is that you need to win your home games and the fact that they didn't beat Milan has put a lot of pressure onto them the bottom of the group if Newcastle were to win this then Dortmund suddenly become in a very very difficult uh, situation they need they need at least a point really from this I I, I said before we came on air and, and George uh, sort of ridiculed me but I, I can't I, and I am reluctant to say it because I'm not very usually optimistic but I am very confident that Newcastle can and will win this game I would be shocked if they didn't because if, even if they can't, even if they reach half of the level in terms of intensity from both the crowd and the players on the pitch that they did against Paris Saint Germain, I just can't see how Dortmund cope with them. I certainly can't see Dortmund coming there and winning. It just feels like a special place at, at the moment to play football, particularly on those Champions League nights. Eddie Howe and the players will certainly not be being complacent about this. I'm not trying to be complacent. I just think the way that Newcastle swatted aside Palace so easily and then have been able to rest some of the big players for this one, the focus they have, they can put themselves very, very close to, to, to nearly qualifying, really, if they win on Wednesday. And I, I do expect them to win. Yeah, not a. this isn't a kind of specific point, but I just wanted to clarify that my pre-show ridiculing was then immediately followed by during show ridiculing and there will be a lot of post-match ridiculing as well that is very much a way of life for me and not specifically about what Newcastle do against Dortmund I'm confident I'm not going to say I'd be surprised if they don't win because I, I don't want to sort of have that feeling ahead of a game like this but 
yeah, I can't wait for it. You know, there's nothing to be scared of. There isn't anything to be scared of, is there? But Hummel, Sula, Brand, Royce, they're all proper players, aren't they? All proper international Champions League experienced players, George. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you mentioned those players, they kind of roll off the tongue, don't they? Again, looking forward to seeing them at St. James's Park in the sense that I was looking forward to seeing Mbappe at St James's Park. I hope, hope, I hope, I didn't want to see him play well. I wanted to see him have a stinker and lose. I mean, the same with these players. I like to see, I want to see players come to St James's be absolutely taken aback by the atmosphere and the way that Newcastle pile into them. And same with them. One kind of interesting little side plot in this match, of course, is Alexander Isak, who didn't start at the weekend, who missed Sweden's uh, matches in the international break. You would sort of therefore expect him to start this match, as has often been the case in the Champions League. And he had a couple of years at Dortmund. They weren't the happiest years of his career, certainly not in terms of appearances and goals. So, yeah, I wonder if he'll have a bit of extra motivation to do well in in that match too. Absolutely. And as you said, Chris, we can pretty much end Dortmund's hopes of qualification, can't we? And three points will put us on the brink of the knockouts. Uh, Group of death? What group of death? Well, I mean, it was said before the last match by Luis Enrique that Newcastle were the team from pot four that, that nobody wanted. And I think at least in the first two matches, that's proven to be the case. The fact that Newcastle have come out with, with four points from them, even if if in Milan, they, they were perhaps fortunate at half-time to, to still be level. They absolutely blew Paris Saint-Germain away. Dortmund, it's going to be very, very difficult, as I said before, if they don't at least get a point from this to, to even think about qualifying from this, whereas Newcastle can put themselves in a very, very strong position. Your whole matches are what you need to win. Nine, ten points basically nearly guarantees you going through in most years. And so Newcastle are already on four if they get a point or or three on, on, on Thursday that they're very, very close to Friday and Wednesday, they're very, very close to getting there. We haven't mentioned yet that they will do it still without Sven Botman, who Eddie Howe said after the match is going to be probably another week or two away from being available for Newcastle. The defence has performed extremely well yeah. in recent weeks, but the fact that they can't change that is 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 perhaps a little bit of a concern in terms of they don't have the depth there. If Sandro Tonali is not available, come Wednesday as well or certainly the games beyond that's one fewer player Newcastle have in the Champions League squad we mentioned a few weeks ago how the Champions League squad is different to the Premier League squad they could only register I think it was 23 players in the end and so they didn't have they don't have the likes of Matt Ritchie and a few others in that squad so although he's not a midfielder that would be another body who Newcastle do not have available there so they they are getting a little bit stretched in in some departments but equally the way that they're playing at the moment there's so much positivity going into Wednesday and hopefully they can just carry that momentum through I I exchanged a few messages with people inside the dressing room after the game on Saturday and that was the the very much the message throughout the international break was they have to they've got momentum let's keep momentum that was what they were talking about internally and they certainly did that on Saturday so fingers crossed going into Wednesday as well Sorry George I thought you were going to pop in with something there Absolutely not Okay no worries Uh, So then all eyes towards Dortmund on Wednesday have you chaps got anything interesting in the pipeline George anything coming up? Well, I mean, Chris Chris obviously hasn't because um, he's having a six month sabbatical as we know but he <laughs> does have a return to work Coming up in the not in the pipeline, so we're what in the last entering the sort of last week of. It's going to be a shock to the system, isn't it? Chris's laziness, yeah. <laughs> we're going to Man United away together in the League Cup, so that's going to be a tense card journey. I've got a lot of frustration to get out. Um, we're we're writing about the match. Jacob's got a piece coming out, I think, tomorrow. So please uh, keep an eye out on that. 
And if you get the chance and you're on The Athletic, please check out Michael Walker's unbelievable obituary of Sir Bobby Charlton as well, a very emotional uh, read. Make sure you check that out if you get the chance. Subscribe to The Athletic via theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to pay just £199, dollars or euros, depending on where you are, a month for the first 12 months. Uh, That's it, chaps. Thank you very much. Unless we've got anything else to add before we close up for the day. I want to give a shout out to possibly one of our youngest listeners who is called Noah Fitzpatrick and he listens to us from Belfast. I'm told that he is a star centre midfielder midfielder for Crumlin United FC and he's only 10 years old. And this made me feel slightly concerned about some of the language that occasionally gets used <clears throat> on the podcast. Absolutely. However, so I, on that sense, I, 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 I do apologise Noah, and um, but thank you. And but the response I got was that his parents were like absolute troopers, so we have nothing to nothing to worry about. Let's hope they don't get a visit off social services any day now. <laughs> the kind of content that we're putting out there. Uh, yeah. Well, Chris, thank you very much. Uh, you're very welcome. Yeah. This is a this is an emotional week for us as well because this is uh, Jacob's final full week covering. Newcastle United on of a full-time basis. So uh, going forward, as we've said before, we hope he's going to still be around and still uh, still helping us and coming on the podcast. But yeah, this is George's. Uh, he's going to stop carrying George's bags after after this week. Yeah, it's emotional for you, Chris, because you're going to have to do some work soon. You fucking lazy twat. Sorry, Noah. Sorry, <laughs> Noah. Shit. That's it. Bollocks. Ah, damn. Uh, <clears throat> oh, thank you very much, chaps. I think I'm going to go and get my duvet from upstairs, curl up on the couch make a cup of tea and maybe watch Back to the Future this afternoon and try and get rid of this awful cold. Uh, and with a bit of luck, it'll be all gone by Wednesday night when we go uh, again in the Champions League. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. This has been Pod on the Time. Look after yourselves. Have a good week, and we will see you on Thursday. Cheers. Bye-bye. I've just absolutely dissected Chris apart with a scalpel. I mean, you didn't. I absolutely dismembered him. You really didn't. But... What? I've just ki- I killed him and then I killed him again. I buried him with facts. They didn't kick. They didn't kick off. They didn't choose to do it. So it's not. It's a, his theory. No, it's is not. irrelevant. That, it's not. The idea that Newcastle haven't like this this big idea. Oh, Newcastle could kick the other way and they could still win matches. Well, they did kick I mean, the other way. Yeah, and they won a match. It's not like it's the first time they've ever done that. They've been playing since 1892. Sorry, chaps. Are you, are you telling me that's the first time no, they've kicked that way? No, I didn't say it was the first time. I didn't say it was the first time. Still ever. going on about well, no, it. No, I know you didn't. I mean, but... Uh, well, then why? what's your point? Your theory was that they sh- they should choose to do it, and they haven't chosen to do it. No, no, but that sort of adds to the theory that they're going forward, they should choose to do it. So your theory is still un- redundant. No. Right, come on then. That's no. enough of that. No. Honestly, do I have to grab you both by the ear? Absolute arsehole. The Athletic.